So, thanks for the introduction. And let me start uh, by showing you two pictures. So, first of all, we, we, we have the 10-year network development plan that has been introduced by the third package, which basically was a kind of, at, at least initially, a bottom-up exercise collecting all the investments that you can find in national investment plans and then looking at European level if there is a consistency inside and trying to go to a more top-down approach. Then we also have something called Projects of Common Interest and we have a first list that was published in November uh, last year. And what the, the idea of this list is that it is uh, less projects, so for electricity about 100 and also for gas. And they have been carefully selected because the idea is that these projects are very important for the EU uh, strategy. So then let's have a look at the next slide. So here we see an opinion of Acer from just before um, the summer holidays, so 30 July. And it includes a first progress monitoring because more and more we will see that Acer has a role to monitor progress of these investments. And this pie chart is for this uh, investment we find in the 10-year network development plan. And as we can see here, there is already one, about one-third of projects that is experiencing some delay. So then that brings me immediately to my first uh, poll. And I would like you to tell me what you think are the main, uh, what is the main reason for this delay. Um, is it more permitting-related problems or has it something to do with the investment incentives of TSOs? Because most of these projects are TSO projects. So I look forward to see what you think about that. Let me launch the poll and let me give you some time uh, to reply. So response A, you think that the main reason is permitting. Response B, you think it has something to do with TSO incentives. I see that voting is very quickly this morning. So I'll give you just a bit more time. Okay. Great, so we have uh, most of you. Let me share the results with you. Um, so, as you can see, um, we have uh, 58 of you that think 58% uh, and we are uh, around more than 100 participants, so that's a very nice uh, result, that think that it has to do with permitting and 40, around 40 think it is more to do with uh, incentives. So, let me show you the next slide then. So. If we look at the opinion of Acer, um, these were uh, the reasons put forward in that opinion based on, I guess, a, a survey with the project developers. And, and as you can see, uh, you have a blue part here, 25% is saying uh, permit granting. So that is response A. And in a way, you could also argue that even these two categories here, national law changes and environmental problems, are somewhat indirectly or directly related to permitting. Because, for instance, law changes, if I looked into the document, is often related to permitting law. Um, so you could say that from this graph, you could get the impression that is mainly response A that is true. But let me also share with you um, this uh, illustration. So here... I, I took one uh, graph from a report by our colleagues at Florence School of Regulation. And actually, Vincent already did a webinar on that in June. So if you want to know more about that study, have a look at Vincent. But here it's relevant just to indicate that at least there is this one study 
that tried to do a benchmarking of TSO incentives. And what they did, they looked at these uh, five countries here and they mapped on the x-axis the rate of return of the TSO in those countries for doing investment. And here you see TSO risk. And at least from this mapping and from their um, first analysis of these frameworks, um, they did see significant differences. Um, you would, of course, expect that risk is in that the rate of return is in line with the risk. But as you can see in this graph, in some countries have the same risk and a different rate of return. So you could expect that TSO incentives is also one of the issues. So I, I, I mean, clearly there is an argument for both responses. Um, but then let me bring you closer to the topic of this webinar. So this webinar is actually about um, one article in this new 10E regulation. The 10E regulation is the one that introduced these projects of common interest and includes several procedures and new deadlines um, related to speed, trying to speed up projects of common interest. And then you have Article 13 that talks about TSO investment incentives. And I took an abstract from that article uh, just to tell you what it is about. So what it says is uh, maybe there are project promoters that incur higher risk for constructing, operating or maintenance of a project of common interest. And then the idea is that national regulatory authorities recognize this risk and ensure that there are appropriate incentives granted. It also says that uh, national regulatory authorities shall publish how they will do that. And this has meanwhile been done. And this has been summarized in this recommendation here from Acer from June 2014. Also important is to uh, tell you that there is the seventh paragraph of this article that says that the Commission, so the European Commission, may issue guidelines. Um, so, in principle, it implies that the EU might say how um, we should give incentives to investment in the national frameworks. So, that's what um, this uh, work we did recently is about, how the EU should or should not use this uh, opportunity to make guidelines. But before I, I go further, let me illustrate two countries that already do something quite interesting. So first, Italy. So we are in 2004 when they introduced a new uh, regulatory framework. And the context was that Italy at that time had just had a blackout. And um, the perception was that some strategically important investment uh, was missing. So what was the solution in 2004? Solution was to say, OK, we have normal default investment, but we are going to make a new category of investment that we're going to call the interconnection and congestion reducing domestic lines. And that category of projects, uh, maybe implicitly because they have more risk or they are more important or they are, um, there is more urgency, combination of all these factors, uh, and we are going to give uh, stronger incentives to the TSO to invest in these projects. How? Well, first, the risk is reduced by increasing the regulatory period from 4 to 12 years, and um, a, a WAC premium of 2% was introduced to increase the return. Now, what has been the experience? Well, you, here you see in the illustration that lots of projects have gone through this uh, process since 2004, and one statistic is that since 2008, uh, 8 billion has been invested under this framework and uh, 28 projects are ongoing. That's Italy. Then another example 
um, where there is already a rich experience is from the US where actually the context was quite similar. They also had a blackout in 2003. Um, and also there, the perception was that um, there was a lack of strategically important investment. So their solution has been also to create a new category of projects, which they call interstate investment, which is to improve reliability and reduce regional congestion. So a bit similar to Italy, actually. Um, and then um, the solution also has some similarities. They go towards a case-by-case -case assessment by the federal regulator FERC. Um, and in this assessment, it is up to the project promoter to argue if and why they need uh, stronger incentives. And incentives can be just like in Italy to reduce the risk, but also to increase the return. And just to give you one example, there is this project called Dusken Light, which is number three on the illustration here. So it's in the Pittsburgh area, and this dark color here is PGM, uh, so in the east coast of the US. Um, and that project was one a landmark uh, decision for FERC, and it referred to this decision in several uh, other cases, because uh, they did grant some additional incentives to this uh, project developer, but not everything they asked. So FERC was not fully convinced with the argumentation and did not give the full premium that the project was asking. I think it was something like 1.5% was requested and only one granted. So overall... Also in the US, there is a lot of experience with this framework and we found that more or less uh, 85 cases have been uh, dealt with, representing a total of 60 billion in potential investment. So now, what does that imply for Europe? Huh? So we know that EU, European Commission, has an opportunity to make guidelines. So I would like to know what you think. Huh? After you've seen uh, these two illustrations, do you think that we should use uh, these EU guidelines um, dealing with PCIs to sort of say, okay, all countries should go towards a case-by-case -case assessment and then also a case-by-case -case, um, design of investment incentives? Or we don't need guidelines on that because countries are doing this already uh, their own way and it is fine the way we are doing it today in Europe. So no need for guidelines. Let me launch uh, this second poll. So I'm launching the poll and I'm looking forward to what you think. Okay, that's a, a more surprising result for me. Very interesting. So most of you voted. Let me close the poll, share the results. So 90% um, are inspired by the two examples and think we should go to a case-by-case -case assessment of projects of common interest and then also a case-by-case -case decision on what type of investments we are going to give to the projects. Well, up to now, I have been discussing um, this uh, in several meetings and in the meetings it was more controversial than in this webinar i have to say so i i am uh, surprised to see that only 10 percent think that uh, today everything is okay and we don't need uh, guidelines so let me tell you a little bit of the argumentation you could have in favor of response a or b and how we also discuss it in our policy brief 
So first response A. So the argument um, for case by case is, and, and, and that is also in line with what Italy is doing, the US is doing, and also more recently the UK and France, but there there is less experience with the new framework they have. And basically the argument for case by case is that you, if you do the current practice, which is this, giving the same return and the same uh, risk for all investments, it implies in a way that you overpay for low-risk projects and, um, and underpay uh, for high-risk projects. There is a typo in my slide. So it's overpay low-risk and uh, underpay for high-risk. Of course, you could increase the return and then you could even bring it up to the level that it's enough to, to, to finance a high-risk project, but then you are overpaying really a lot for the low-risk project. So you always have this trade-off if you have one return uh, for all investments. And it also implies that whatever return you choose, if I was a TSO I, and I have a portfolio of investment, of course, if I can sort of choose the ones I do first, I would do the ones first that have a lower risk because I'm getting the same return anyway. And this is a well-known uh, issue from finance. Uh, this happens in any other sector. So, okay, what, what is then uh, a possible argumentation to say, no, it's not a good idea to force everybody to do case by case? Well, there are two strong arguments. Huh? Um, so one argument is to say the benefit uh, of case by case will be limited for some countries or for all countries because it really depends on how heterogeneous these projects of common interest are in terms of risk. If they are more or less uh, of the same category, um, maybe it's not necessary to have this very sophisticated case-by-case. Case. And this could be true for some countries, because they only have one or two PCIs, and while other countries have many, and they could be very heterogeneous. So it's not obvious to force all countries to do the same approach from a benefit point of view. Also, for a cost point of view, it could be quite different from, from country to country because, of course, as we know, not every country regulator has the same resources and skills. So um, while this case-by-case -case approach does require some new skills and resources, let's take the example of the FERC. They basically created a whole new department that is dealing with uh, these case-by-case -case, uh, assessments and they build up the skills over the years. Um, so, and again, also for companies, it, it requires to, to have a new type of relation and discussion with the regulator. So not obvious um, if we should really uh, enforce this in, in all countries. That's why our, our recommendations in the policy brief for EU guidelines are more prudent. What we say is what is the real issue is that we need adequate frameworks, whatever they are, case by case or not case by case. Because if they are not adequate, then some investments that are important for Europe, but incentivized in one country, could not be forthcoming, and that's a, an EU issue. So reasons for EU to do something, and this could be to benchmark nas national investment frameworks. Benchmark, what we mean is to do the kind of mapping that I showed uh, my colleagues tried to do for a first time and to do it annually, and this could at least have some sunshine regulation and a discussion on what is adequate and what might not be so adequate. Then something else could be done uh, through guidelines, and this could also be a role for ACER, which is, of course, always to, to spread uh, good practices. And we saw at least already one interesting practice on coordination, where we have a case, NEMO, an interconnector between UK and Belgium, 
and where the both regulators got together and said, okay, it is joint project by our joint uh, our two TSOs, so let's give them the same incentives. Otherwise, you have half of the project having a certain incentive scheme and another half having another incentive scheme, while in the end it is one project. So that's a very interesting uh, practice. And then, of course, there are already some countries uh, in Europe, like I refer to, to Italy, I also refer to France and UK, that have a case-by-case -case approach. So what could be the role of EU guidelines there? Well, Acer could uh, be given the competence um, to, to maybe assist NRAs uh, if they want to. Uh, I'm not saying the UK, France or Italy want assistance of Acer, but maybe some other country um, some of the regulators that have voted in, in this uh, way could be saying, okay, we don't want to create a whole new department. Uh, it would be nice that we have some assistance by Acer and then Acer can have economies of scale and create a department there that becomes very skilled at doing this assessment. Um, so it could be a voluntary thing offered at European level. Same could be true for TSOs that don't want to do it themselves. They could have some assistance by uh, N2E. Okay, so this was more or less the, the policy brief. I also wanted to have one more slide before we enter into Q&A, just to show that this is a, a brief that is part of a series. So if you want to know more, you can have a look at our previous work where we worked also on the cost-benefit analysis. So, so this is what is done uh, to do a selection of PCIs and the topic of cross-border cost allocation, which is about how to share the costs, the investment costs, uh, of projects of common interests between member states. And uh, we also did uh, two webinars on that. So these policy briefs you can find on the YouTube page of Florence School of Regulation in, a, in the form of a webinar. Uh, also for your information, uh, the team at Florence School that is working on these topics is Nico and myself, and you see us here. And we will also continue to work on uh, the whole regulation of projects of common interest. In fact, today we are looking again at uh, CBA and CBCA for power and gas, because when we worked on it, it was before all these uh, projects of common interest were, 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 were active. So now they are, and we can have a look at what is the experience with the first CBCA decisions and where we are with the CBA uh, methodology. This is ongoing. What we also are going to do is um, all of this work is how to best implement the regulation which is given. Um, but of course, we could also discuss if the regulation itself could maybe have some improvements. And that's the work we will start to do towards the end of the year and the beginning uh, of next year. And that uh, just leaves me to, to thank you for your attention. And I look forward uh, to the Q&A. Okay, Leo, we thank you for your presentation and for the background information and contextualization of your research. Uh, so, we can start with the Q&A uh, now, as we received a lot of questions, and we can also see you now. Perfect. So, I, I will start with this first question. Um, yes. Do you think projects have heterogeneous risk profiles? Oh, um, well, the things we had in mind, um, why projects could have uh, heterogeneous profiles, is both related to the stage um, of development, so before construction and, and during construction. Uh, 
Um, so you can, we know that in Europe, for instance, we have projects um, onshore, offshore. Uh, some projects are using um, innovative technology. Uh, some of it is very standardized, on, typically onshore, but not always. And offshore is using new technology, is doing... Um, yeah, so I, I do see good uh, reasons uh, why there are could be are promoters arguing um, that that there are differences in in risk. Um, also, typically, is you could say that the difference between national and cross border is that there are cross border is, there is more authorities involved. So the development process is more risky. You could say um, because more authorities, uh, more coordination between authorities. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely good arguments to say why there could be heterogeneity in the risk profile. Okay, uh, the next question uh, is about one of the approach you, you were suggesting. So, uh, is case-by-case -case assessment not introducing additional regulatory uncertainty into the system? Yeah, it's something new. So it could uh, introduce um, additional risk. But what I think is important is uh, to discuss how it can be implemented in a way that it avoids as much as possible to introduce additional risk. And what I think is uh, nice about uh, the US approach is that it has not been done at state level, but at a higher level where you have a regulator that is dealing with many cases. I remember I said 85, I think. Um, so 85 cases, then you know after a while how the regulation is being implemented. So also if we, we looked a bit at some of these cases and you see that the FERC in the beginning had to still interpret the regulation, um, how to do the assessment, but after a while they started referring to previous cases. At some point the regulation has even been clarified in a, in, so it's a it's a process and in the end it can be a low risk uh, you, you as a promoter we also see that that promoters after a while are not asking everything anymore. They already know what they can get, what they cannot get so um, I got the impression from the u s that that it can be uh, a quite stable, predictable process. But of course, I, I, I'm sure there is also litigation in the US, as always, there is litigation with some projects and, and controversy. Uh, so probably also depends on who you talk to. <laughs> yeah, uh, just one question that can be uh, attached to, to this one. Um, do this case-by-case -case assessment um, take into account interaction among the different projects? Um, this, is, uh, this depends. Eh? So uh, in the US I've seen that what is called a project in many cases is including something really a cluster of lots of investments that have been part of a regional plan. So more a type of 10-year network development plan, but the top-down one, really fully top-down. So there you could think that this has already been taken into account. If in Europe we would do it for a project of common interest, as we discussed in some of our previous work, the way we define projects of common interest, uh, I'm not always sure whether um, complementary projects are, are already uh, 
taken account of in the best way. Eh? So it really depends on the context. No, um, then uh, in the Italian context, it will be again different. So it depends on the eligibility criteria. Uh, what is the type of analysis that has already been done on the project before it can apply to this framework? So uh, there is not a one answer. Eh? Then a question uh, about uh, risky projects. So is a risky is a high risk project one in which we should not invest at all? <laughs> in some cases, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, it allows me to to maybe clarify a little bit some of the assumptions. Eh? I have only a, f a bit of time in this uh, webinar, but of course, what we say in the policy brief is we we assume. <laughs> Um, that at the selection process of the investments, um, this, this has already been scrutinized. Eh? So if we select projects of common interest in a good way, with a good method, a good cost-benefit analysis method, and I know, I'm well aware that there is still some improvements to be done on that part of the, the story, um, but if we do that well, when we come to this stage, we should not worry anymore that we are giving too much money to a project that should not happen. Uh, so it should be a two-step process. We should have a very good selection. And then once we have done that, we, we should make sure that we give enough return to the project because we are convinced that it has a very high value despite the risk. And then we want it to go forward. Okay. Uh, we really received a lot of questions. So I'm trying to screen and to select among them the some that can be really interesting for everybody. So, um, okay, can a project with a PCA status be rejected by national regulation authorities in national investment plans? Um, that's, uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know because I am not a legal expert of the text. Um, but it should not. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, what we say in, in our policy brief, um, which comes close to, to, to this question, um, and, and I didn't put it in my slides, but if you read the policy brief, uh, the recommendations, can you see my slides now or you only see the webinar? Uh, okay, so I, I didn't include it as a bullet point, but in the, in the policy brief, we do say that if there are countries that have a, a special framework to speed up investment that are important uh, for, the, for national policy objectives, because if we look at the history of these frameworks, both in Italy, the US, but also France and UK, of course, it was, mot it was, not, um, it was done before we had the European regulation. So the focus there was on national policy objectives. And as a recommendation, we say that the EU guidelines could also ensure that there is no discrimination against projects of common interest. So that projects of common interest that are important for European policy objectives at least receive the, at least as good a treatment as the ones that um, are important for national objectives. Um, so this is a recommendation. And I am, I'm not sure if it is already in fully insured by, by the text of the, the regulation. It could be part of the guidelines. Okay, and then I would ask you a last question, which is a more general one, but just to, to give some background information maybe on the context. Um, to what extent uh, is the proposed approach to case-by-case -case analysis different to the existing framework? Um, well, it depends on the country, yeah? but most countries, so most countries have a very, very uh, simple framework where a TSO 
um, has a portfolio of investment and this portfolio has a rate of return that is negotiated every regulatory period, say every four or five years and can be changed. But the regulator and the TSO do not enter into the discussion of will a different uh, investment get a different return. There is just one return that is, a, that is agreed upon or negotiated. Um, so that's really the framework that applies to all investment, both nationally and projects of common interest in most countries. Um, with the with some exceptions here and there, of course, huh? and 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 I, I highlighted some of the exceptions in 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 uh, our, the webinar that are a bit more uh, in the policy brief, and there is and everything um, all the details you can find are in this opinion of Acer. Huh? So this one I had here on my slide, this document recommendation from Acer from 27 June. Is, is including a big annex with all special features of incentives of different countries. So you can have a look there. 